Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I'm Sarah Budry. And I'm MJ Smith. And this week we are covering a scene from the timestamp 29 minutes and 18 seconds to 31 minutes and one second. So we're over the 30 minute mark. Oh, yeah. uh, milestone. <laughs> um, so there's just 90 minutes to go in... <laughs> in this uh but in this scene we see brody um inside talking to polly on the phone um talking about putting up roadblock signs and just needing extra help and hendrix is outside the building just kind of hanging out (laughs) and uh so uh brody pulls hendrix in and kind of berates him and tells him that he needs to be doing his job hendrix is like i don't know any of these people and then uh, Hooper comes in and basically tells Brody, hey, those guys didn't do anything <laughs> that I asked them to do. And so Brody sends Hendricks back out to deal with it. And then Hooper and Brody finally meet. They introduce themselves to each other. And uh, Hooper asks to see the remains of Chrissy Watkins. And then we see absolute madness on the high seas. Uh, just... <laughs> Just pure insanity from the people hunting this shark and a lot of yelling between boats, a lot of crowded uh, boat stuff and uh, a lot of dangerous situations, which I think we'll get into. I think they were actually kind of dangerous for the people filming the movie, too. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's that's basically the scene. And and so um, it ends kind of right as we're getting ready to go into not quite the autopsy room because that's already been done, but the examination room where uh, Hooper is finally going to look at the remains of Chrissy. Um, and we will talk about that next week. But yeah, what did you notice in this in this scene? Um, <laughs> I think the thing that immediately I noticed is Hendrix is... what What is he doing in this scene? And does he really understand the severity of, of this situation? I mean, in the in the previous scene, there was sort of the suggestion that he was feeling a bit more jovial about this whole situation than than Brody was. He was sort of recounting the story of, of Charlie and Den Herder and was quite amused by it, whereas Brody was very not amused by it and, and thought that it should be taken seriously. But at the beginning of the <laughs> beginning of this scene, Brody is like on the phone. He's like talking to Polly. He's trying to get stuff done. And Hendrix is just chilling outside. He's smoking a cigarette. And it really, really makes me laugh the bit where like Brody throws like the stones or something at the window to, yeah. to get his attention. And the little wave that Hendrix gives back is just so funny. Like he don't, doesn't even realise what he what is going on and yeah you get a, a a bit more of like the dynamic between Hendrix and 
Brody in this scene and there were moments that were a bit like a father-son dynamic which I'd not really picked up on before because obviously you know they're both cops they're partners they work together but it is the way Hendrix like shuffles into this uh, into this building he knows he's in trouble and like (laughs) the way Brody removes the cigarette from him as well is exactly like a dad like telling their kid off um and he's sort of like fidgety as well he is like fiddling with his hat he really Mm -hmm. doesn't look comfortable in this situation and it's like you're a you're a cop right surely you had this training at some point to you know to deal with these people and also just throws up the sort of interesting question about like Hendrix is is local and clearly knows Amity very well and knows knows these people or at least knows some of them I I get that a lot of a lot of people have come from outside but you would think that with him being the local cop who knows people and obviously knows the land and Brody being the outsider that it would be Hendrix kind of walking Brody through this new and developing situation that is that is going on but yeah, Brody just it shows throughout what a great cop he is. We've mentioned this many, many times on previous episodes, and I think we get that again in this scene where he just really takes charge and sort of sends Hendrix off with a mission that he cannot fail at. But I bet that he, well, he clearly doesn't succeed because we then a few seconds later or a few moments later see all the boats going out to sea so he clearly was not able to stop them at all um but many questions about hendrix's uh policing ability in this scene was my first takeaway anyway (laughs) yeah uh hendrix is great in the scene that little wave he does is so (laughs) doofy and weird like it's like it almost feels like it's out of like the like an Andy Griffith show type of like mm. bumbling cop thing, which he hasn't really been necessarily like he's he's gotten a little bit into that territory when uh, he says, like, let Polly do the printing. And Hendrix says, uh, <laughs> what's wrong with my handwriting? He goes, let, let Polly do the printing. But I do think that there there also is sort of a respect for Brody that comes from Hendrix. And we've talked about that before. And I think you still see that in this scene. And I think the the interesting thing about Hendrix, he's, he's kind of caught between two worlds because he's clearly grown up with these residents of Amity. Mm-hmm. And I bet if Hendrix was not in his uniform and on duty, he would have been out there with them. <laughs> and uh, if only by virtue of the fact that I feel like he probably grew up being super outdoorsy and fisherman, because mm. that's just kind of what you do in a community like that. Um, mm. And so I think he looks at it as like, oh, it's opening day for the fishing season. And he's just kind of out there enjoying that. Everyone's out on the harbor having a good time. And I think that also makes it a little bit harder for him to reprimand those people because he's seeing he's thinking, you know, well, I, I grew up with Ben Gardner. He's a good guy. You know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do any, he wouldn't harm a fly. He's, he's not like a murderer or anything. Like that's what cops do. Cops do like murder things. Like they, you know, <laughs> he just has no concept of what police work kind of actually is. Mm. And because Amity's so kind of milk toast, you know, uh, uh, a waspy area of, um, uh, of the country and and just like not 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 a lot happens you know it's it's all the the truck is parked in front of my driveway and the kids are karate chopping fences not 
you know, we have a murder fish on our hands. <laughs> yeah, it, it, this is where I get the comparisons to Hot Fuzz again, and this is something that mm. we have mentioned before, but the Hendrix is a lot like those sort of local police officers in Hot Fuzz where you know the evidence room is just completely empty and like cobwebs and dust and they clearly don't have much you know their a uh, height of their excitement is like arresting some kids for underage drinking in a pub or something it's really like low stakes things happening in the village even though there are very underhand and dark things happening in in that film which we <laughs> uncover as it goes along and the character that Simon Pegg plays in that film is very much like the Brody in this, where he is, you know, the cop from the big city and takes his job very seriously as well. And yeah, I, I would like to think that they perhaps took some inspiration for, for Hot Fuzz from, from this. I don't know, but I definitely get those those sort of vibes in the differences between Hendrix and Brody and sort of how they act towards act towards the people how they're reacting in this situation as well and i think yeah the the hint was in the previous scene with their very different reactions to the story of charlie and den herder i mean hendrix is probably just like well that's classic charlie and den herder you know yeah. they're they're always getting into these scrapes and this is just another one of their their stories sort of thing whereas brody he i don't think he's the sort of guy who would be like in the bar with the locals he still it feels like the outsider and also keeps his distance as well in the sense that he's not sort of like super pally with the with the residents he is doing his job or or doing the best he can anyway but um one great thing that i noticed that i had never noticed before and i really enjoyed it was uh so i mentioned that hendrix is sort of like smoking the cigarette outside and when he comes in, Brody takes the cigarette off him. Um, not only does Brody not give the cigarette back, but he then smokes it when. <laughs> yeah, comes that's in. one of my favorite little things. <laughs> I've noticed. I, I've noticed that before, and I. That's one of my favorite little things that Roy Scheider does in this whole movie. It's so great. I just. You don't even see the sort of like the cigarette is out of shot for a little while, and then <laughs> as soon as Hendrix is out out the building and who becomes in Brody is just like well I've taken it off him so I'm just <laughs> I'm just gonna well, have it, it now <laughs> I almost wonder if because Roy Scheider was a smoker mm. I almost wonder if it was just he didn't even think about it almost like him hitting his head on the signs and mm. and things like that like it just he was like oh yeah I, I'm in the middle of the scene because this is all one shot again mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of dialogue happening back and forth and I feel like Roy Scheider was just like, oh, I have this cigarette in my hand. Time to start smoking it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great natural movement and another sort of like great subtle moment from from Roy Scheider that we see so much of um, in this film. And it's just adding continue, like continuing evidence to my Roy Scheider is a great, a great and underrated and underappreciated actor. I think this is everything he does in Jaws is great but it's these really tiny like little character moments that I appreciate because I just I don't think you get that from everyone I think that you have actors who can do that and pull off those subtleties but to make it look as natural it's I just love the way Roy Scheider does it and I, I love him in this scene it's he is really captivating in this scene for me 
Yeah, it's man, he's so good in the scene, and and I mean in all the scenes, just overall, and and just the 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 natural way he can, you know, imbue this performance with these little touches that may be intentional, may not be intentional, but he just makes it. It just makes these characters feel so much more lived in, and I think that goes for everyone too. Like, I mean, transitioning into Hooper when he shows up and he. Talks about like, oh, you know, uh, those eight guys you told me to, uh, uh, you know, talk to. Well, they're, they're not going to make it out of the harbor alive. Like that's a direct <laughs> continuation of his line of thinking from the previous scene. Mm-hmm. But also the way he sees the way he says it is like, it's not my fucking problem. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that smile is everything. Like that sort of yeah. wry smile. He's like, none of them are getting out of this harbor alive. It's just, it's so great. I really getting to see Hooper and Brody interacting properly in this scene is so is so great and they have such a natural chemistry straight away I feel and obviously they Mm -hmm. they interact in the scene previous to this but Brody has no idea who this (laughs) who this guy is who's just rocked up on on the harbour as as far as he knows he's just you know another guy here to try and catch the shark but in this we get a real sense of of those two together and what that dynamic is going to look like as the film goes on as well. Yeah. I love this part too, when um, Hooper is talking about how they're all going to die. And then he says, you know, Oh, I'm looking for chief Martin Brody. And Brody says, Oh, you know, that's me. And his, his kind of demeanor and tone of how he's speaking kind of changes. He stands up a little straighter mm-hmm. and he becomes like business as usual or uh, uh, biz- just the facts type of hooper oh i'm matt hooper i'm from the oceanographic (laughs) institute and he goes for the handshake and uh brody is so excited to have someone who can confirm that this is in fact a shark and can maybe finally prove that that's what's happening here because if they're not going to listen to me maybe they'll listen to the guy who makes a living out of sharks (laughs) yeah there's a great line of dialogue that i that i love from roy scheider where um hooper sort of acknowledges he's like i know you i know you've got a lot on but like without missing a beat straight away he is like what can we do to help you like he's it's not you know i've got to sort out all this chaos first like he recognizes that this is the person who the only person at this stage who can help who can Mm -hmm. help him out who can get some answers and it's also him i think brody recognizing his limitations as well and that his skills as a cop can only take him so far so he doesn't even sort of answer or uh respond to hooper saying you know i know it's really busy or i know you've got a lot on whatever he says he is like straight away in there like what can we do to help you and i think that's that's really great and obviously it shows this this dynamic in that you know brody is the the law enforcement figure but he recognizes that hooper is the guy who has the knowledge that is the thing he is lacking he's been flicking through those shark books but he is not an actual legit expert in sharks and that's what hooper is and he knows that this is the guy who is is going to help them out so he yeah, he almost can't hide his excitement as well when he like introduces himself. It's quite, it's quite endearing. He's just like, "I'm Brody, I'm Brody." Like he, he's, he's suddenly like, "Oh, this is the guy. This is the guy who is gonna get us out of this, this mess." And he 
quite quickly sort of moves away from the chaos that is happening at the at the harbor i think he realizes that <laughs> that situation is out of hand and nothing is going to stop those guys so this yeah. is the thing that needs that needs dealing with now and also perhaps puts him back into more of that sort of cop comfort zone where he knows that sort of the next stage after this is let's go and look at the remains and we can get some answers yeah and i like how how hooper too is is very um like the snark completely disappears when he when he asks about the remains like he wants to be very respectful of that he knows that this is someone's you know relative you know mother sister daughter whatever um probably not mother but um uh you know friend etc and so he wants to he he knows that he in order to do the best job possible he needs to do that but he also doesn't want to seem like he's there to make a farce he doesn't want to um seem like he's he's there to intrude and just you know tear open these traumatic wounds for the people who knew and loved chrissy but Mm. this is what's going to give him the information that he needs and uh not that that brody like disrespects that by any means but he just says okay yeah you know like uh looking at remains looking at human remains is kind of second nature to brody just because Mm. of his job in new york so you know when when he asks for that uh hooper's kind he's not necessarily out of his comfort zone but that's not his primary function like he's not really going around investigating shark attacks all over the world but he does know that if there he's being called to investigate a shark attack that's probably something he should do if he has access to the remains and Mm -hmm. brody just kind of like with with not like I said, not with no respect, but just because that's second nature to him. He goes, yeah, sure. Like, you know, any anything you need, just bear with me for a second. So he, without even questioning it, is like, yeah, that's if that's what you need, that's what you need. You know, I, I want you, because my job is investigation, I want you to have as much firsthand evidence as possible to make an informed decision about what to tell the people of Amity going forward. Yeah, he's, he's recognizing the thing he lacks hooper has and that actually they can make a really good partnership working together from from this point and i think another thing that's interesting as well is that sort of casting our minds back to the introduction of quint and even though we had we saw hooper in the previous moment i would consider this the sort of the introduction of hooper this is where we learn Mm -hmm. his name and who he is and what he's doing and, and whatnot and how different at contrasting their sort of approaches are and that is already setting up this instant animosity that there is going to be between Quint and Hooper and this is something that we we've spoken about in previous episodes where you know they come from from different sides of the tracks from very very different backgrounds with very different methods and uh, ideas of, of how is best to go about this but straight away Quint, uh, Quint is in there with the you know we need to go out and catch this shark you know this is the thing that this is the thing that we need to do and i'm the guy to do it and hooper even though he arrives in the the midst of the chaos that is happening in the harbor and i think it's significant that this is the moment that he arrives as well he isn't like let's go get on my real expensive yacht with with all of its equipment Mm -hmm. and go and look for the shark he is like scientific approach i need to examine the remains so i know what i'm getting myself into here like he is very much thinking with his head which you would expect from hooper because he's he's clearly a clever a clever guy and i don't know what quint is is thinking with uh but <laughs> isn't it i don't 
I mean, that's what he knows. Fishing yeah. is what his what he knows. So maybe he is thinking in this in the same way as well that you know he he knows his skill and what he can do, and that he potentially could be capable of catching this shark. But yeah, even though Quint and Hooper have not met each other yet, us knowing that this is kind of the core trio, I think it's already setting up that really really fascinating dynamic between these three characters and how they are approaching this situation. Yeah, I think it's, um, oh, I think one of our guests brought this up, or maybe it was you, the id, ego, super ego that they kind of all embody, where, like, Quint is very, like, action-oriented, like, let's go get this shark, like, Mm. that's the best way to deal with this threat. Uh, Hooper's kind of the ego, where he's like, let's see the reality of the situation and see what we're dealing with, and then present the evidence as we find it. And then Brody's kind of the super ego of, like, hey, let's figure out how best to keep these people safe while also keeping them somewhat you know normal we don't want to come disrupt their entire way of life and way of being and just Mm -hmm. you know boss them around and tell them what they need to do but we also know what's best for them so i need to figure out how to navigate this sort of culture of the island Mm -hmm. um and all three men are really confident in what they do like they know that they're good at their jobs. There's, there's not a, they're not self-doubting. Um, they're not questioning whether what they're doing is the right thing or not. And I think that's important too, as far as, um, not necessarily relatability, but just putting them in the context of they're, they're all looking out for Amity. They all want to protect this place because, it's Quint's home and it's Quint's livelihood out there. He also doesn't want the shark eating the fish he catches. Um, (laughs) And for Brody, it's his job to keep those people safe. And for Hooper, it's his job to see like if a shark goes rogue, like he he talks about in this, like why? Like it's his job to figure out the why behind all of that. So it it just really sets up this, uh, this triangle perfectly. And it, it really is great you know late in the movie later in the movie in the back half when they're all bouncing off of each other because there's not necessarily a power dynamic like no one truly holds all the cards ever between these three Uh and it's the it's that that is what makes the wonderful tension between all three of them particularly hooper and quint because they're both a lot more seafaring than than (laughs) uh brody is but but we don't understand that without these introductions to these characters. Mm. I think what's interesting as well is that if we're thinking about the scenes prior to these three getting on the boat and going out to sea, and we always sort of see that as like the halfway point, that mm-hmm. point where you through the jaws of the shark and, the, and they're then out on the orca, that's kind of then the second half of the film. As we're introduced to them, if we sort of think about all of them you know, at some point having think of it as this sort of like triangle of 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 power with each of the three characters on a <laughs> on a point that does sort of like tilt as in this first half of the film. So obviously, as the characters are introduced and we're introduced to them gradually, but we see Brody, Brody kind of holds that that power initially. Like he is the he is the cop, he is the guy in charge, he is the one who is looking after this operation and trying to get to the bottom of it and trying to get the people safe quint when he when he comes in he makes a really assertive declaration in front of all the people and the power is entirely 
in his hands in in that moment in particular like we we said on that episode he doesn't even stand up to put his point across like that's how dominant he is he just sits in his chair eating a snack and is like you're gonna listen to me and for a little while as well i think really from from this point on hooper holds a lot of the of the power because he is this he is this knowledgeable guy the guy who knows what he's talking about he is in the next scene very assertive doesn't mince his words doesn't sort of say it might be a shark or it might be a this or it might be a that he is like it is a shark and this is the type of shark that it is um and yeah it does we do see it change and shift as the film goes on and i think in that second half onwards the balance of that power dynamic between those three it rotates a lot more because obviously we have the three of them together Mm -hmm. but it's interesting how we see those those characters being dominant in their own fields if that makes sense and being dominant separately as well prior to getting to that point i mean i hope we're not getting (laughs) too far ahead of ourselves here but yeah it's it's interesting i think now as we've we've finally met the third the third piece of the trio it's an it's an important conversation to have i think it is obviously the thing that people well apart from it depends because you have some people who are like the shark and just do nothing but talk about the shark but the the people who really know jaws in in the way that we do know it is all about the kind of dynamic between these three characters and how they interact and how they manage this situation how they deal with it yeah, it's it's really interesting because my something I'm learning particularly while I'm in school and just like growing up and not I don't want to say coming to terms with my childhood because I had a pretty good childhood, but just like <laughs> thinking about how I grew up, I've always been into monster movies. Like I mm. am a big Godzilla fan and like kaiju stuff and and um I would spend my Saturdays watching, you know, pre-recorded on VHS tape uh from the sci-fi channel watching old Godzilla movies that they had aired with crappy English dubbing on them. And um, there's always this idea, I think when a particularly this, this is more within like the Kaiju genre of, I don't care about the people. I just want to see the monsters fight. And, it's like the exact opposite with Jaws. Like I, not that I don't care about the shark. The shark is great and offers some of the most exciting cinema you could possibly find anywhere. But I think the thing that keeps us coming back to it and keeps us doing a minute by minute breakdown is how interesting it is watching these three people in this power struggle that doesn't necessarily mean they get to be in charge back at the island, but to protect these Mm -hmm. people, they're, you know, they're, they're these confident people who know what they're doing and want to make people safe. And there's something about that that makes it really interesting because I think for the most part, people do want to look out for each other. Maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but, <laughs> you know, I, I think on the whole, the majority of human beings, even if it's just 51%, that's still a majority, understand at some level, like looking out for each other is what's important. Mm-hmm. but we have these three different ways to kind of go about it in this movie. And it's really, really interesting watching those three ideas bounce off of each other because none of it. And the, that's the other thing too, is n- none of them are wrong. They're, yeah. they're all right in their own, in their own way. And so it presents this neat little thing. It's very satisfying to think about because 
you can it's not a puzzle to be solved there's no real mystery to it it's just oh yeah these people are right and then they think they're wrong but these guys are wrong that that this guy's wrong he's actually right but also his way of thinking is right too and also says this other guy's way of thinking is also right like protecting the people of amity figuring out why the shark is doing it and getting the shark are all three completely viable ways to go about handling this problem yeah and a, a film could have put all of those traits or all of those motives into one character and i i just don't think it would work as well because even though they are all working towards the common goal they are incredibly different in their approaches and it also wouldn't i mean then you sort of end up in the situation where you have this like one character who can do it all with no real explanation how or why but putting all of those things into the different characters and then that i mean that creates that instant kind of tension which is one of the really great things about about jaws and brody sort of keeps well sort of the peacekeeper but we see that become a bit more fractious over the over the course of the film because Mm -hmm. i think he he recognizes that both quint and hooper are right and he knows that you know yes the shark needs to be caught but yes also we need to understand what we're dealing with here and it's i think fairly clear that he is more aligned with hooper's way of going about this because following the town meeting he doesn't jump into a boat with quint to try and go out and find the shark but as soon as hooper shows up and is like here's the thing we're gonna do and it's a little bit closer to what brody knows well he's he's there with him and and we see him in the next scene it isn't hooper going off to examine the remains by himself like he's he's right there with him so he is getting all of that that knowledge you know firsthand as well he's going with the guy who knows what he's what he's talking about but i think certainly as things escalate from from this point they realize both brody and hooper realize their limitations as well and the thing that they are missing is the guy who has the actual well the the actual equipment the the boat and the fishing gear and everything else i mean i know hooper has got his his tank and his darts and everything but recognizing that yeah the thing they need is the skilled fisherman to go out and catch this shark so those differences between the characters i think is one of the most fascinating things about jaws but also just how well they all they all come together and it's i think it's um mark hermo the film critic who says that uh jaws isn't about a shark and Mm. people always get mad at him for that because they're like of course it is have you seen the poster (laughs) like their shark is clearly going around eating people and it's like yeah jaws has a shark in it but it's not about a shark it's about this it's about so much more than that i'm not about to get into my like essay piece on jaws (laughs) which i have written many times um but it's a it is about so much more than that i think it's as facetious as that comment can sort of sound but you know it sort of sounds like you're just being a troll basically <laughs> like hey you know that film with the shark is not about a shark um it is and it isn't yeah uh, it's about so much more than the shark i think is my slightly more diplomatic way of phrasing that <laughs> yeah and i think too so going back to the kaiju thing i think that i i kind of lost track of the point i was originally going to make but 
Um, I'm a big Godzilla fan, and so as such, I'm very excited about Godzilla vs. Kong. Hashtag Team Godzilla, mm-hmm. obviously. But, Always. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, man, it is such a clown shoes take to think that Kong has any chance. Anyway. Right? The size of it, right? We're not going to get into this debate, but honestly, if you are Team Kong, I would I would just really like to know why. <laughs> yeah, what? come on. Godzilla's the king of the monsters. That's all of them. It's not king of some of the monsters. It's king of the monsters. Also, he's a walking nuclear power plant. Like, I don't understand. Okay, cool. The monkey has a big hammer. Like, neat. Anyway, to prepare, we're revisiting the previous three MonsterVerse movies. But we have to start doing it now because I'm watching a lot of movies for school as well. And uh, we watched Godzilla 2014 the other night. And it's a movie that I like, but I understand a lot of the criticisms of. Mainly, there's a lot of human stuff in it and not a lot of Godzilla stuff in it. What I will say, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of dope Godzilla stuff in it. So it's kind of hard for me to write it off entirely. (laughs) But... One thing I noticed is how much there's a Jaws influence in this movie, which I hadn't picked up on the first time I saw it. It was my first time revisiting it since I saw it in the theater. But to the point where Aaron Taylor Johnson, who's the main character of the movie, is named Brody. Mm. He's His name is Ford Brody, but he's in the military, so everyone just calls him Brody the whole movie. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Are you telling me this is a separate monster movie about a guy trying to protect people named Brody? And one of the things that I think is a very valid criticism of that movie is what you just brought up, which is he's kind of it. There's no real other human character for this guy to play off of. And I don't think Aaron Taylor Johnson's a bad actor by any stretch of the imagination. He does fantastic accent work to the point where I thought he was American until I heard his real voice for the first time. But he's also not that interesting. So he is just kind of there, but he sort of has all the answers because of his dad. But his dad dies really early in the movie. So he's just kind of hanging out, having all the answers. And it's not as interesting as watching him bump up against one or two other people who might have a different way of looking at the situation. And also be completely correct and valid and watching that tension happen between them. So the human drama... That's why people say the human drama in this movie, in Godzilla, isn't good. Because it's one, not. But two, there's almost as much human drama in Jaws, but it's all super interesting because it's these three people with three completely different personalities that are all fully realized brushing up against each other instead of one guy who's got all the answers to every solution ever. Mm. Yeah, the, the fact that Jaws puts the effort into character development as well like you don't really get in the grand scheme of things you don't get that much of the three sort of interacting because that all comes in the second half of the film but Mm -hmm. it's it's the building up of that we've had Brody meeting Quint we've now got Brody with Hooper and then eventually those sort of three come together but we've come to know each of those those characters and even when we just sort of see the brief glimpse of quint when his boat goes past uh when the tiger shark has been caught Mm -hmm. it's so (laughs) i mean it's such a great moment but um it's yeah it's just 
it's done so well. I mean, I think that I feel like this is just <laughs> stating the obvious that Jaws. Hey, it's pretty good, guys. Pretty good movie. And yeah, pretty <laughs> pretty good movie, and does a really great job of of character development. And it's it has all of those great monster movie moments as well. I mean, some people are like Jaws isn't a monster movie because a shark is. It's you know you get sharks and sharks are real, and it's like okay, but the <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It is a big old shark who goes around killing people. I would consider that a monster movie. 100%. Um but it's it isn't just that and I think yeah, I the, the criticisms of those uh sort of like the I've not I don't think I've seen that Godzilla. I've seen the most recent Godzilla King of the Monsters mm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and I've seen Kong Skull Island and I've some of the other like old King Kongs and Godzillas as well, yeah. but yeah, if some people are like, you don't go to like a big monster film for the characters, like the human characters. You go for the monsters, like beating the crap out of each other, out of each other. And it's like, yeah, that's that is true, but also, you, I don't know. I'm, I'm, well, I'm not a giant monster as far as I'm aware, <laughs> sure. but um, <laughs> I relate to the human characters because they are real people and obviously depending on how well though i say real people you know what i mean yeah um but, but you know they and they have traits and things that you can relate to and why jaws is so effective is because you spend so much more time with the people in the beginning like we've not even we've seen like a weird outline of the shark and a fin like we've we've not even seen this thing yet and we are half an hour in and all we've had is is the people so far if that stuff is lacking, then this this film would suck. It just it would yeah. because you need all of that to to make you care. You can't just sort of throw these monsters at each other and expect magic to happen because there needs to be some there needs to be something else there and and Jaws has that for me. Yeah, it's it's just so hard to and and, and there are films who, that do it. I would argue that King of the Monsters is one that does it. I know people were kind of cool on that one too, but I really, 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 really like that movie a lot because of the spectacle. I don't really care. Like the human drama is actually kind of worse to me in King of the Monsters than it is the 2014 <laughs> one. But there's so much cool monster fighting in it that I like. We've watched it two times in the last two years and i just got the 4k so we could watch it in preparation for godzilla versus kong and honestly in godzilla versus kong i kind of just want fight scenes between godzilla versus kong and then the (laughs) eventual like i don't really care about the people in those movies but there's there's a i think there's also a a world of difference between what those movies are trying to accomplish and so I, i think it's a valid way to do it i think it's just a lot harder than people tend to realize to actually make something that sticks with people uh that they won't just go cool and then leave um <laughs> and i think i think one thing too is you have to characterize if you're going to do that you have to characterize the things that are part of the spectacle like the monsters and i think there's really good character work with godzilla at the very least in king of the monsters of like he has a motivation and he we, like we know what he's tr- he's trying to accomplish something. He's not just beating you know beating up other mm. monsters because he can or he feels like it or whatever. Like he's ma- he's motivated by a point of view in that movie, and so because of that, you root for him. But mm-hmm. it's hard to do with just like a big CGI lizard. Uh, <laughs> like it's <laughs> it's no easy feat to do that. So 
it's even harder with just just a shark Mm -hmm. you know like this is just a shark like a shark doesn't have that sort of mysterious could have a higher capacity for thought and emotion (laughs) than like godzilla you can you can do that with him because you go oh he's this ancient creature that's you know older than any of us and yeah um things and so you add this layer of mystery to godzilla and then you look at that creature and go what is it actually thinking with a shark we kind of know and it's just things are delicious and i would like to eat them (laughs) that's my just general motto in life Uh (laughs) fair that's fair well then you may not be a giant monster but maybe you're a shark yeah maybe i have i would just like to eat delicious things thank you um yeah i mean the, the 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 shark is acting in a way that is natural obviously (laughs) we don't like well we do like to see people get killed that's why we're here but it's as those those books pointed out and you you bought the national geographic uh recently didn't Mm -hmm. you and you sent me the the picture with like the diagram and the the shark um that's going after the fish and it it shows you that the the movement of like a fish in distress is like the exact same as a person like kicking and splashing in the water so that's why this shark is here i mean i guess it's it's rare to have a great white shark sort of this perhaps this close to the shore or with this sort of many killings in a short space of time but you know that's what makes the film exciting but where the the jaws sequels go a little bit awry is they try to add like shark lore of of like maybe this shark uh, like voodoo or had connections or a motive or like wanted to get revenge like specifically on the Brody family and like that's yeah. a thing that it then obviously starts to be- get like a bit insane whereas in this it is just like a shark who maybe the 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 fish haven't been sort of splashing about where he wants them to he's swum a bit further in and he's found a lot of you know people kicking about in the sea and has thought yum yum i'll have some of this delicious food now please yes so it's go ahead yeah go no 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 go oh i was i was going to transition into the fisherman the 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 chaos on the high seas the (laughs) just so yeah speaking of feeding a shark delicious food after (laughs) after we see hooper and brody interact and and have you know a semi-serious conversation we get a little bit more lightness before we go into the autopsy room and that is everyone successfully left the harbor it seems um much to the detriment of the ocean and brody's emotional well-being and they're just out there and they're all screaming at each other there are people on different sizes of boats. They're all almost overloaded, except for mm-hmm. in the shot I'm looking at, Ben Gardner's boat. It's just him and his first mate that elopes with Quint's first mate. And <laughs> uh, they're all super close together. I don't know how much time you've spent on a boat. I actually haven't spent a lot of time on a boat. But those things go Not a much. lot faster than you think they are. And you have to really start planning your slowdown and your turns and your approaches mm-hmm. carefully yeah. and accordingly because boat like the, it makes me really nervous looking at boat and I've only been on a boat uh, five times in my life maybe maybe three um mm-hmm. and 
it's really scary and i'm not like i'm not i don't like going in the water not because um i'm scared but because i'm not a super strong swimmer so when we have friends who have boats and they're like let's go out on the lake i don't really love like trying to water ski because i have a hard time getting back out of the water or swimming back to the boat (laughs) so what i do is i go oh i want to drive the boat and uh it's really like it's it's tough it seems like it wouldn't be but it's it's not like driving a car at all um and so the thing that I cognitized watching this scene was like, oh, these boats are really close together. Like they must have had some really good stunt drivers uh, for the boats to to handle them this way and this close together because it looks really dangerous. Mm. Yeah, I, I I'd wonder how many of them are actually like driven by the sort of like the people they roped in as the as like the fishermen extras. Yeah, probably the majority. If- and if anyone was actually hurt in this in this scene, because it seems dangerous and it made me quite anxious to watch it because there's like, it's it's funny on the one hand because there's like all the sort of yelling between them is, I can't, I can't remember, I wrote some of the stuff down, but now I've lost my notes. So some of the things that they're sort of like yelling across at each other is, is pretty funny, but also <laughs> it's just, I, I'm not a big boat fan either. Mm. Um, mostly just because I get quite seasick. Mm. So even just the thought of like all these little boats just bobbing around out there, I'm a bit like, no, that's 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 not for me. I'll I'll sit and watch <laughs> somewhere. But yeah, it's quite it's quite chaotic and it's quite anxiety inducing to see all of these boats sort of like so closely packed together. And one of the boats, um, the the ones who are sort of like just chucking the the chum out the side. Um, I've I've labelled them the sloppy chummers um, in my notes, which sounds like a really bad like folk band. Yeah, or... sure does. <laughs> the sloppy chummers. Um, they've got two cute little dogs on the boat. Like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. dog on the front as well. He does not look safe. And my instant worry in any film is the safety of the dogs. So I was very concerned <laughs> about yeah. these two little pooches. Did, why did they take the what is a dog gonna do against a shark on a boat like maybe just leave the dogs at home i don't know <laughs> yeah i feel like that boat in particular because of that is a it's one of the locals and they do that with their dog all the time that's the mm. only way i could see that uh, like <laughs> happening is just being like oh yeah that's just what it does mm. um, yeah let's see oh Ben Gardner has a great line at the very start of this. Mm-hmm. He's sort of leading the charge and he says, where do we get them silly bastards down in that rock pile? They'll be some fun. They'll wish their fathers had never met their mothers when they start taking their bottoms out and slamming into them rocks, boy. It's so good. He's so Quint in this yeah, scene. Yeah, it's well. very it's much so like you can tell this guy is the, the, the direct inspiration for Quint. A hundred percent. And it's it's also it just, we mentioned this in last week's episode, I think, just even more frustrating that Ben Gardner seems to be the one who is actually dealing with this pretty sensibly mm-hmm. in the sense that it's just him and his first mate on the boat and that's it. And all the, and, and he is just cruising out to sea, looking like he's he knows what he's doing and fairly confident as well in, in what he says as well. And then you've got the sloppy chummers, you've got a second dynamite guy who is not the same dynamite yeah. guy as the one from last uh scene so 
questions about how easy it is to get dynamite uh, on Amity, and all the, and just all these other kind of like jokers. You've got the the tiger shark boat as well with like eight or nine of them on this tiny little boat, and they presumably all come back. And Ben is the only one who <laughs> Ben is the only one who doesn't, and that's quite annoying. <laughs> yeah, and and you know. Uh, one, I would like to see the Ben Gardner prequel of just like him, like him, him and Quint's, uh, original partnership and then eventual falling out that led to Quint being oh. sort of isolated. I would love that. Because you know that's what <laughs> happened. There's no way that mm-hmm. you have those two guys on the island and they didn't end up there because they were together at one point. <laughs> um, 100%. So, uh... Yeah, freaking Leap Day William has a line, and it's the <laughs> dumbest thing. Uh, if you didn't get that, listen to the last episode. It's insane. But uh, he sees the sloppy chummers, and then he looks at the guy driving their boat and says, tell me what the hell those guys are doing. So this guy is a pure opportunist, and they're the ones who end up with the tiger shark because the a what guy is on there too. Uh-huh. And... He, has, he doesn't even know what chumming is. I feel like <laughs> most people know what chumming is. Maybe thanks to Jaws. Maybe thanks to growing up with Shark Week. But come on. Like, how do you, mm-hmm. how are you going to go on the, the, the uh, shark expedition and not know what chumming is? Yeah. Some real jokers on that boat. Because there's another guy as well who I don't think has a line. But he is just like knocking back a, a can of beer, just having like a real good time, and and it's and they're the guys who they're the guys who catch it. I'm now even I want to see the, I want to see it happen. I want the evidence. I want the receipts. I want to see them catch the sharks because I don't believe those guys could do it. Yeah. Well, and then freaking dynamite guy is headed straight for another boat. Like he's just <laughs> on a full on collision course. Dropping charges from his damn canoe or whatever, like. <laughs> yeah, this this whole bit is just like, just the best slapstick comedy. I feel. Yeah. It's so it's so dumb, but it is incredibly funny, but also has that sort of edge of just being like, this is very dangerous, and any yeah. one of these people could die any minute now and also they're so stupid i hope some of them die (laughs) yeah right well and it also kind of provides some context to ben gardner's line in the last scene where he's talking to hooper and he says Mm -hmm. hey you're not going out there with them nuts are you like i know we said that it seems kind of condescending but seeing it now i feel like ben gardner does know does know the exact same stuff that brody knows where he's like all these people are acting absolutely off the rails like it is (laughs) bonkers out here and i don't know why Mm -hmm. And yep. it's unacceptable. And, it, we're, you know, we're going to show him that it's amateur hour when we get to that rock pile. Like, it, it, mm-hmm. it makes it seem like he does, he is legitimately, at least at some point, concerned for Hooper. Because he's just like, hey, like, you don't want to trust any of the other people going out here. Like, I I know what I'm doing. Mm. And these guys do. Yeah. I have just this very second thought of a theory. That, <laughs> I'm that so I've excited. I've not I've not worked it through, so this might be absolute nonsense. My theory, it because all the signs are pointing are pointing towards Ben Gardner knowing what he's doing. He's referred to the other guys as nuts. 
he seems very confident going out in his boat. He's not overloaded it. He's clearly knowing what he's doing. And the guys that catch the tiger shark, they don't even know what chumming is. They're having a beer. They're having a grand old time. There's too many of them on the boat. Those are the things that we know. So my theory is that Ben Gardner catches the shark and those other guys on that boat, the the tiger shark crew, they come across Ben Gardner's boat where he has caught the shark and they steal the shark. Mm. I was thinking more along the lines of Ben Gardner knows that that's a tiger shark and not what they're looking for. Mm. And for whatever reason, he's playing this like, he is he is he is Burr to Quince Hamilton, where he's he's playing it close to his chest. He doesn't yeah. he knows it's a great white, but for whatever reason he's keeping that to himself and not raising the alarm bells the way Quint is. Mm. Um and so he sees the tiger shark and is like, I told you it was amateur hour out here to the to the first mate, like Yeah. I'm just now thinking, what if the Tiger Shark crew actually killed Ben Gardner? Oh, oh, that's an interesting wrinkle. <laughs> or they, like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think the shark does get to Ben Gardner as well because of the tooth and everything we see mm-hmm. later and the way the boat is attacked. But the way his boat is just kind of like left there as well, do we know or see what happens to the first mate apart from in the fanfic where he runs off with... Yeah, we don't mate. we don't uh, know what happens to him. <laughs> they kidnap him. Yeah. He's just in the trunk somewhere of some someone's car. <laughs> okay, now we're just writing yeah. Jaws the book. That's some shit that happens in the <laughs> book, basically. <laughs> yeah, this is some mafia underhand stuff going on in the book. But I mean, it's not the most insane theory no. I've come up with. No, it's not. <laughs> it certainly is not. <laughs> it's incredibly sensible. I would say Com- compared, compared to the Leap Day William yeah. uh, tangent we went on last week, but it's just, I, it's just, I think it's just the fact that Ben Gardner is like so clearly more knowledgeable and knowing what he's doing and declaring that for, in front of all these other guys as well. But yeah, it is the it is it is the the group of guys that are the least likely to catch the shark that catch the shark. So something yes. in the back of my brain is just like, maybe something else happened. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, strange things are afoot in Amity Island. <laughs> they really are. Um, I don't know if I have anything, anything else after that. Uh, I had one thing. So right after, uh, I think it's right after Dynamite Guy, new Dynamite Guy, different Dynamite mm-hmm. Guy. He, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so let's see. Dynamite Guy happens explosion um more sloppy chumming but we see the guy from the sloppy chummers dump this bucket of chum into the water instead of just dishing it out slowly once again sloppy chummers and uh we see a shot from the back of the boat as the blood from the chum mixes with the water and it leads right into the examination of Chrissy's remains and that's like a very it ties those two things together very visually because we see the the only other time we've seen blood in the water up to this point has been uh even though Chrissy's was bloodless but it has it has been when people have been attacked by the shark so 
it's a really cool transition of we see this shot of blood in the water and now we're going to talk they're going to examine and talk about one of the victims now and it's a really great transition it's kind of just a hard cut from that to the the evidence or the 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 um investigation room but it really ties that together of like hey this is why this is all happening in the first place it's a very cool shot as well. I always just think blood looks really cool in in water. And yeah. it's great foreshadowing as well in that, you know, we know that one of these characters, one of these fishermen gets gets killed mm-hmm. and it's not long and, until we sort of see the shark coming again. But yeah, it's a great it's a great link um between this and the in the, and the next scene. One of the one of the best transitions in a film that is full of great transitions. Yes, uh, agreed. Also, do you think we're going to get the Sloppy Chummers merch? <laughs> I, It's niche, um, sure, but if there's a market for it, then we will make it. <laughs> because all, all I'm seeing is <laughs> just... Like like this. Oh, let me open the actual image. There we go. <laughs> yes. So what I what I am looking at in our Discord is uh, a Mighty Wind, the album, and that's absolutely what I had in my mind. <laughs> thinking of the the sloppy chums. <laughs> in that like pastel rainbow font. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. This like similar outfits as uh-huh, well. Yep. Yep. Um yeah. <laughs> An inexplicable ladder, all of these things. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's that yep. That's all I could think of when you said the sloppy tremors. I was like, Oh man, I would very much like to have a t shirt that has that. <laughs> We'll see if this if this insane and very niche uh, piece of merchandise is something that you would like. Let us know, and we'll, we'll see what we can do. I still need to get on buying my Jaws O'Clock Somewhere merch. Oh boy, yeah, I almost bought one the other day and then realized that I didn't have enough money. But I've now been paid, so I will be treating myself ASAP. Yes, what a great T-shirt. <laughs> Um, speaking of merch, you guys can buy merch and you can win merch uh, by entering our contest. We are having a second contest to win a it's to win a T-shirt, right? Yeah, uh, you can choose the design, either one of the two. Okay, yep. Um, and you can win that. You can you have until the twenty sixth of February uh, to do that. So at the time of this recording, you have twenty days. Although you will not hear this the same day we're recording. So you have two weeks to the day um, from when you're hearing this to when uh, you can, the deadline is to enter. And all you have to do is make sure you're following the show at Jaws for a Minute on Twitter. Make sure you're following Sarah at Sarah Buttery, S-A-R-A-H, B-U-D-D-E-R-Y on Twitter and following myself at mjsmith891 on Twitter. Um, do they have to retweet, retweet the, the competition tweet as well? Yep, follow those three and retweet the tweet. It's, um, it's on our pinned 
tweet, so not okay. Not Twitter. So yeah, retweet our pinned tweet and then follow the two of us and the show on Twitter, and that's an automatic entry. Um, and that's that's all you have to do. And then uh, we will announce the winners on March, right? March fifth. Is that? Yes, okay. I think that's right. The episode we record the day after the competition closes. Yep, <laughs> yep. And so it's just going to be random, right? Out of we're, we'll we'll plug in all the entries into uh, uh, a, a picker, right? Is that going to yep. be? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we, yeah, you can win a T-shirt from us and uh, help us boost our follower counts along the way, and also <laughs> let, get the word out about the show because we appreciate that. Um, yeah, so. Make sure you're entering that. Make sure you're following us on all the socials at Jaws for a Minute, at Sarah Buttery, at MJSmith891. Retweet the tweet. If you want to purchase merch for yourself or a loved one, uh, just, hey, here, listen to this. Um, <laughs> I know I know you love it, but I bought you merch in advance. I know you don't know who <laughs> these two people are uh, or what this podcast is, but here you go. Um <laughs> You can buy it on TeePublic and Redbubble. There's a link in our Twitter bio to uh, both stores. That'll just There's a, a link tree, and you can find all the important information um, for that. If you would like to buy us a coffee, we would very much appreciate it. We've had several people um, do that for us before, and it's uh, very sweet and nice, and we thank you for it. We are on coffee, spelled K-O-F-I, also link in the twitter bio and if you just have if you want to reach out and say something nice to us uh our, our dms on twitter are open but you can also email us at jaws for a minute at gmail.com um and yeah thank you guys uh oh uh go follow us on spotify and subscribe to us on itunes and leave us a review if you would like that helps us as well um we're uh we're we're in the top like just past the top 150 is that what it was just just outside last, of it? yeah last time i checked in the like film history ones or something yeah it's kind of wild yeah in the in the <laughs> film history podcast on itunes we are in the united states we're just shy of hitting cracking the top 150 and in the uk we're the last time i checked we were number 49 Whew. which is crazy <laughs> um so <laughs> thank you guys so much and uh, help us get in the top 100 <laughs> um, and top 25, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, uh, the, the, the way to do that is by, by leaving a review and sharing the show with your friends and family and people who you think would enjoy uh, a very deep analysis with very <laughs> insane fan theories um, about uh, one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Until then, it's Jaws O'Clock somewhere.